global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You are just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for our children. As we think about raising this last generation, raising the remnant, we just pray for every family, parents or not, we just pray that you'd give us the inspiration, the knowledge, the wisdom, and the discernment to raise these children in these perilous times. In Jesus' name, amen. I love history. I love Bible history. I love studying the great controversy and understanding how events that have happened in the past are to be repeated in the last days. And so as I think about the entire scope of the great controversy story and to think about the entire history of the plan of redemption, I ask myself the question, what are some of the most important events in the history of redemption? Let's just take post-fall. Post-Adam and Eve and the fall, all the way until... Christ's second coming. What are the three biggest, most important events in the history of redemption? I identified really, really big events like the flood, but you might not say that that is redemptive. So the three biggest redemptive events, I would suggest the Exodus experience. God bringing his people out of Egypt, forming a people unto himself, and giving them his law and bringing them into the promised land. Episode number one. Number two, obviously, not in order of of, of importance, but number two in order of chronology, the cross and the resurrection and Christ's ministry and his incarnation on this earth and then his return to heaven. And then, of course, we're right now in the third and final most important event in redemptive history, in the time of the judgment, which you could include the second coming of Christ in that. So what do these three have in common, and what does this have to do with a parenting seminar? I begin these three in a parenting seminar because you notice something interesting in the biblical examples about children. One good thing and one bad thing. I'm going to start with the good thing. There's some key roles that children play in these redemptive movements. In the first one, for example, when Moses is born and, you know, almost has a perilous experience in in facing death under the evil tyranny of the Pharaoh, who was it that played the key pivotal role in saving Moses' life? It was his sister. It was a child. Similarly, when Jesus came to this earth and he came riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem, announcing his kingdom, who was it that proclaimed him as the king? It was the children. They said, Hosanna, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. What about in the last days? As the children sang in the temple courts, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So in these last days, children's voices will be raised to give the last message of warning to a perishing world. When heavenly intelligences see that men are no longer permitted to present the truth, the Spirit of God will come upon the children. And they will do a work in the proclamation of the truth, which the older workers cannot do, because their way will be hedged up. In the closing scenes of this earth's history, many of these children and youth will astonish people by their witness to the truth, which will be born in simplicity, yet with spirit and power. In the near future, 
Many children will be endued with the Spirit of God and will do a work in proclaiming the truth to the world that at that time cannot well be done by the older members of the church. That is a powerful prophetic prediction. It's saying what has been will be. Just as the children proclaimed the coming king, so also the children in the last days will have that final message in their possession. Because the older members of the church will not be able to. Their way will be hedged up. The laws will be hedging them in. And the children will do the final work. That's exciting. As a parent or as anybody who has children in their church community who cares about these little children, who cares about the lost souls that these children will reach. That is why this seminar exists. I happen to have two little ones. And as I think about that statement, I see how true it is already. I can't tell you how many comments I've heard from not just my kids, but any kids, where, where adults will hear a child presenting, sharing some memory verse or some Bible story or praying, and all the adults will tune in, and they will be especially listening because it's a child, right? We expect it from a pastor. We expect it from an evangelist. We expect it from a Bible worker. But when a child speaks, everybody is captivated. They want to hear it. And I've heard many comments about how that child, that child is blessed of the Lord. He's really presenting the truth of God. And that is the Holy Spirit. One, one member of a church that we were at recently said that's the Holy Spirit speaking through those children. And I said, Amen. Now this mattered to that man. He wasn't a parent with children. And it matters to all of us. This quote, as a church, as individuals, if we would stand clear in the judgment... We must make more liberal efforts for the training of our young people. We all want to win souls, right? And these children are that last agency to win those souls. That's why it's all of our responsibility to help train the children of our churches for the Lord. So yes, this is a parenting seminar, but this is also a last urgent message before Christ comes seminar and how we are all a part of that. Now, if you're a young adult, especially this is important, just before you have children, if you're of marriageable age and heading into that period of life, listen to this one. Before taking upon themselves the possibilities of fatherhood and motherhood, men and women should become acquainted with the laws of physical development, with physiology and hygiene, with the bearing of prenatal influences, with the laws of heredity, sanitation, dress, exercise, and the treatment of disease, they should also understand the laws of mental development and moral training. To assume the responsibilities of parenthood without such preparation is a sin. Wow, that's a serious statement there. That makes me wonder, where are the church's methods and, 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 and training protocols to help young adults and young parents with the most important job, missionary job that there is? And there, that's being a parent. I'll share more on that later. You don't wait for somebody to train you. You might say, oh, that's overwhelming. How That whole list that we just looked at, how can I possibly handle all of this? Well, you know what? What it says here is, parents may well inquire who is sufficient for these things. God alone is their sufficiency. And if they leave him out of the question, seeking not his aid and counsel, hopeless indeed is their task. So you ought to feel overwhelmed without the power of God. But with man, this is impossible. Yet with God, all things are possible. My wife told me, as I was preparing this seminar, she has many things she wants to share with you. And she said, tell the folks that what helps her personally is knowing that all of God's callings and his requirements and what he's asked us to do, all of his callings are enablings. 
Everything he asks us to do, he provides the provision necessary to fulfill it. So, that's the exciting thing about the three events. Back to the three events, though, there's also a negative component. And that is the attack on children. At the Exodus, Pharaoh put out an evil, wicked edict to throw all the baby boys into the River Nile. The Jewish children. The Hebrew children. Then also, at the time of Jesus, Herod put out a similar edict. All the children two years and old and under, in and around Bethlehem, must be put to death. So, how about today? You might point out the 50 million abortions that have taken place in America and since 1972. But I think there's an even more insidious effort at play than the taking of the children's lives in each case. Today, Satan is seeking to take their, their souls. Listen to this statement right here. Parents give their children to Satan with their own hands, like the apostate Jews making them pass through the fire to Molech. Wow. So how about our media that we're allowing our children to be exposed to? How about the worldly schooling methods and public schools and the the state that is raising our children? If If our parenting is being outsourced to the schools and to the media, then what we're doing is we're handing our children right over to the enemy of souls having our children pass through the fires and destroying their souls. There's a tremendous attack on the family today. Why is that? Because we just heard about what the children are supposed to do in the last days. But also, did you know, Adventist Home, page 32, I have my two favorite parenting books here, Child Guidance and Adventist Home. Adventist Home, page 32, says that one well-disciplined, one well-ordered family communicates more in behalf of Christianity than all the sermons that can be preached. That's why Satan's attack is upon the children and upon the family, because it's a powerful, powerful witness to the truth. And that's why this warning is given as well. The burden is upon you, parents, whether you are sensible of it or not, to train these children for God, to watch with jealous care the first approach of the wily foe, and to be prepared to raise a standard against him. You are not secure a moment against the attacks of Satan. You have no time to rest from watchful, earnest labor. And you hear the intensity in those messages. Apparently, I can't approach this parenting thing in some sort of cavalier, casual manner. It is There are eternal interests involved of my children and the souls to whom we ought to be reaching as a family. And that's, again, why we need this seminar. Because that training needs to take place. Or Satan will fill the vacuum. Also, though, I I believe this book, Adventist Home, calls for this type of seminar to exist in the way that we're going to do it. Guarding the home against satanic influences. We all want to guard our homes against the influences of the enemy of souls. How do we do that? The first part of the quote. Other families will mark the results attained by such a home, referring to a godly Christian home, and will follow the example set in their turn, guarding the home against satanic influences. So did you see how we guard our homes against satanic influences? We mark the results of good homes, Christian homes. We watch how people are doing it right, and then we follow that model. And of course, first and foremost, we go to the Word of God. We go and ask the Lord, how ought we to parent our children? And then we pick up Adventist Home, Child Guidance, and read these through. We look at inspiration. We look at the Word of God. But also, we are called to take a look at how successful parents have actually raised their children. Well, 
we have some good research on that. This is where George Barna comes in. He's a researcher. He collects data, information, does plenty of polling and, and just extensive research within Christianity. And he did a whole series of studies on parenting. And what he wanted to find out in his research was how were the spiritually strong young adults of America raised? What kind of parenting made them spiritually strong? And so he went out in search and found these spiritually strong young adults in the churches of America. And he, he discovered them that, that, that these were the guys who actually read their Bible, the guys and gals. These were the individuals who tithed and volunteered their time, who really actually believed in a biblical worldview. And these are, these are bona fide actual Christians, okay? And then he interviewed them and polled them and did all sorts of research on them and their parents to find out what kind of parenting, what kind of homes they grew up in. And the story from the kids and from the parents was pretty much exactly the same. And the results are in. We now know exactly how the parents that had success did it. Now, the wonderful thing you're going to see is we don't even need George Barna because everything he found in his study, we can also find in these wonderful parenting volumes, Adventist Home and Child Guidance. So what we're going to do in Raising the Remnant, we're going to be going through the principles of parenting, the specific counsels on parenting that are found in these wonderful books. And we're going to see every single one of them is sustained, or the research is sustained by this rather, but they're matching up hand in glove. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. What does it take to raise spiritually strong young people in our homes? Well, the George Barna research results are in. Parents who have had actual measurable success, who have raised their children to become solid Christian young adults, these parents believed something absolutely radical, that parenting was their number one job in life. They were not too busy. They were committed to focusing on the training of their children above everything else in their lives. Any parents with children in the home need to know this. Write down the DVD title and share it with them right away. It's called How to Raise the Remnant. Now more than ever, parents are in desperate need of solid biblical counsel to guide us back to God's plan for raising godly children in these last days. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of Before I begin, I want to give a quick disclaimer. And the reason I want to do a disclaimer is because I know that there are many people who have children who are grown, and tragically, sadly, it's a continual burden of sadness to the parents of grown children who are not following the Lord as the parents would have liked to see. And so I don't want this seminar to be like a, you know, if you only would have done this, then it would have been an automatic guarantee that your children would have 
become spiritually strong young adults. There are no automatic guarantees in a universe of free will. You could be the perfect parent, hypothetically, and your children, praise God, still have free will. And unfortunately, that means that there's a risk that they might choose the path of the enemy. And, and I'll sustain that claim I just made by the fact that I know one perfect parent, and only one, and that's God. And God was the parent of all the angels in heaven. And he lost some of his children, didn't he? One straight rebel came out of that mix called Lucifer. And he dragged a third of the angels down with him. Was that a fault in God's parenting? No. God was the perfect parent. Isaiah 1 verse 2 says that I have nourished and brought up children and they have rebelled against me. He's referring to Israel in that case. Now, does that mean that it's all just a gamble and there's nothing I can do to increase my children's chances? Oh, uh, no, not, of course not. That, 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 there are things we can do and are called to do to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. And I believe that children who've been raised correctly and are living in rebellion, they know what the truth is. That's still so deeply within their very identity. They know the truth. And this is why so many times you hear stories of people who live that period of rebellion, but then return. And so take heart to those who are listening to this with, with pain because of the spiritual condition of your children. Um, here's the quote also to, to amplify what I've just been sharing. Parents may do everything in their power to give their children every privilege and instruction in order that they may give their hearts to God, yet the children may refuse to walk in the light. So there you have it. But um, another disclaimer I want to I bring uh, doesn't relate to what we've just been sharing, but sometimes when we look at spirit of prophecy quotations, there's a temptation, there's a tendency to selectively quote certain angles that you know, we want to hear, and then we get an imbalanced view. What I love about these compilations is the compilers really did a good job balancing quotes together, bringing the whole picture of different themes and topics together in given chapters. And this seminar is not meant to be a replacement for your personal Bible study, for your personal study of these councils. But I want to give an example of selective quoting and how we can bring the balance together, okay? Some people will look at a quote like this. Children should not be led to feel that they cannot go out or come in without being watched. Suspicion demoralizes, producing the very evils it seeks. So some might look at that quote who believe in what's called free-range parenting and they might say, yeah, I love that quote. I'm going to let my kid kind of do whatever they want out there and we're not going to be watching them. And well, if you only quote that quote, then you might get that picture. But then there's this one. Parents generally put too much confidence in their children for often when the parents are confiding in them, they are in concealed iniquity. Parents, watch your children with a jealous care. Now, you might have a hyper-controlling parent who looks at that one and says, yeah, that's the one I need to obsess upon, and we're just going to continually, suspiciously watch our children. But you have both, don't you? And they bring a balance together. Now, this next quote brings an even more uh, greater level of clarity. Be one with the children in their exercises and amusements without leaving the impression that you are watching them. So yes, we are to watch them with jealous care. Yes, we are to not allow them to think that we're suspicious of them. We're one with them. 
And when we're watching them naturally, because we're with them all the time, then it's not some sort of, I got my eye on you, you no good. No, it's nothing like that. It's a blessing to be with our children. We're continually watching and observing and, and guiding their behavior, not because we're suspicious and we're getting that impression, but we're also not letting them just freely do whatever they want and, 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 and go down the free-range parenting um, path. So anyway, that's just an example. We're going to try and bring the whole balance in, but be sure to do your own research on this as well, okay? Um, now, speaking of these councils, I want to share with you a conversation. If you're not familiar with the writings of Ellen G. White, that's the, the, the author that I'll be quoting again and again, who is the writer behind these. And there was a conversation with Ellen G. White that was recorded by Arthur Spaulding in his history of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. And it's recorded right here in this little compilation that I've got. And I, I want to read it to you. It comes from The Origin and History of Seventh-day Adventists, Volume 3, page 200 to 202. And um, Spaulding writes the following. He says, In the year 1913, Mrs. White, at her home, Elmshaven, St. Helena, California, one day after dinner, called into conference a young man, he's speaking of himself, who was temporarily a member of her household, engaged in a literary work for her. She was then in her 86th year, so as a very elderly lady, she said, I want to talk with you about the importance of the work to be done for the parents of the church. You are a teacher. You are also a father. You work, your work as a father is the most important educational work you have ever done or can, ever can do. The work of parents underlies every other. Let the ministers do all they can. Let the teachers do all they can. Let the physicians and nurses do all they can to enlighten and teach the people of God. But underneath all their efforts, the first work done by the parents is the work that tells most decidedly for the upbuilding of the church. Oh, how I wish, she continued, with an expressive lifting of her hands, that I could go out as I used to do and stand before the people. I would teach them of the great importance of training their children for God. But, Sister White, said he, you have taught them. You have counseled them, and they can read it in your books. Yes, I know, she answered. It is written there, but I am afraid our people don't read it. I am afraid they don't understand. And it is so important that they understand and do more important than anything else. Do you mean that training of parents to train their children is the most important work we have? Oh, yes, she answered emphatically. It is the very most important work before us as a people, and we have not begun to touch it with the tips of our fingers. What is the most important work we have as a people? It is the work to train parents to train their children. And that's why this seminar exists, an introduction, an appetizer for you to dive in to the whole feast of Inspired Council, that we might be inspired to have churches, have more parenting experience out there, training and mentoring parents in this great work. So let's begin. Let's get into the research. The first question, I'm going to begin with this end of this quote. Then a sanctified love will bind the hearts of parents and children together. This is the ultimate goal of parenting. A sanctified love will bind the hearts of parents and children together and the youth will grow up established in the faith. 
and rooted and grounded in the love of God. I'll bet you want to hear the first part of that quote, don't you? That's like the ultimate goal of parenting. Grow up in, established in love and we're bound together as a family. Let's hear the rest of the quote. The work of education in the home, if it is to accomplish all that God designs it shall, demands that parents be diligent students of the scriptures. They must be learners of the great teacher. Day by day, the law of kindness, the law of love and kindness must be upon their lips. Their lives must reveal the grace and truth that was seen in the life of their example. How is it that our children will grow up rooted and grounded in the faith and bound together as a family? The parents need to be learners of the great teacher and students of the scriptures. In fact, that is the first finding of the George Barna research study that I want to share with you. What he found was that the successful parents, the parents who actually raised spiritually strong young adults, had theologically conservative viewpoints and they studied their Bible. By theologically conservative, he just means they really believe the Bible. It means what it says and that it's true. Creationism and all of these things. And these parents studied their Bibles. In order to interest our children in the Bible, we ourselves must be interested in it. To awaken in them a love for its study, we must love it. Day and night, I am burdened with the thought of our great need of converted parents. So you might ask yourself, am I one of those? One of those unconverted parents? Day and night, she was burdened with the thought of the need of converted parents. That means there's a lot of unconverted parents. How do we know if we're converted or unconverted? Here's one test I have for myself. If I love the Word of God, if I'm seeking opportunities to be in the Bible, to study the great truths of Holy Writ, if I am uninterested in it, oh, too busy, it's not a priority, I have to go back and ask myself, do I need to be converted once again? This one. Every day the parents should be receiving the light of heaven into their souls. Every day be receiving the impressions of the Holy Spirit upon heart and mind. Every day they should be receiving the word of truth and letting it control the life. So, parents are the children's window into the spiritual realm. They are going to be the children's perception of God. And so day and night, we absolutely need to be converted in the word, allowing the light of truth to transform us. If our children see us rarely reading our Bibles, then of course, they're going to see the life that it produces where we kind of neglect them, we neglect the scriptures, we become rude and irritable, and and they're going to get a window into God that is that picture. How tragic would that be? But if they see us loving our Bibles, if they see us cherishing and relishing every opportunity to, to be at the feet of Jesus, to be speaking of Jesus, it changes everything. And also, by the way, if you're wondering, well, you know, I, I, I want to read the Bible, but I just have a hard time finding time. Just organizing our day differently oftentimes can make the biggest difference. Uh, I, I believe that success in our morning devotions time is not, does not hinge upon how our morning is organized. It hinges upon how the previous night is organized. Are we getting to bed on time, setting the alarm early enough so that we've planned ahead to have that time? And that'll bring much more physical health as well if we're getting to bed early enough and getting enough sleep. Speaking of physical health, this is a job that demands it. If there is any post of duty above another, which requires a cultivation of the mind, where the intellectual and physical powers require healthy tone and vigor, it is the training of children. So you want to train children, you got to be absolutely 100% geared up physically, mentally, spiritually with maximum health. The role of a mother is absolutely rigorous. 
This is the most important job there is. So if we spend time with God, if we live healthy, if we receive the light of truth daily into our daily experience when we're walking with God, it's not just in the morning, we continue that. So devotions, health, and walk with God, you know what's going to result? Barna found it. The successful parents lived out what they were teaching their kids. So we will become what we want to teach our kids. We will be that living example. This phrase, do as I say, not as I do, uh, this, this doesn't work, right? I mean, parents have tried that in the past. What you say actually means very little compared with who you are. Now, don't take my word for it. Above all things else, let parents surround their children with an atmosphere of cheerfulness, courtesy, and love. A home where love dwells and where it is expressed in looks, in words, and in acts is a place where angels delight to manifest their presence. The atmosphere thus created will be to the children what air and sunshine are to the vegetable world, promoting health and vigor of mind and body, above all things else. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. There's one more quotation I want to share from Edward Bernays, founder of Modern Public Relations, about the power that they have. In almost every act of our daily lives, whether in the sphere of politics or business, in our social conduct or our ethical thinking, we are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who understand the mental process and the social patterns of the masses. It is they who pull the wires which control the public mind. Now, is he overstating his case? I think he's understating it, because given the fact of the tools he had back then in the 1920s when this book was written, today, the media elite have multi-billion dollar, high-tech, 21st century mass manipulation tools at their disposal. If he could say that 100 years ago nearly, how much more power do they have today? Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.